Thank you, Leah. Good morning. She warned you it was coming. Oh my gosh. How's everybody today? I hope y'all are good. I did that. I wasn't going to do it, and then I did it just because Leah said something. I feel like I need this higher today. We'll see if it helps. Bethany told me this morning that the pastor sometimes gets long-winded not to do that today, so <laughs> we'll see what happens. Man, it's good to see y'all. Um, I'm excited about today. I was, you know, I made a note in here yesterday morning, um, was prepping, you know, Craig told you that he and I and Wes had a discussion Sunday, and he shared some of the things, uh, not the getting stuck part, that hadn't happened yet, um, but how much he appreciates our church family, and, and I was like, man, you need to tell the church, and so I appreciate him doing that, but Yesterday morning uh, was just a sweet time with the Lord. I don't, I'm not a morning person at all, not even a little bit. Like, if you talk to me before I've hit the coffee pot, uh, it's probably not going to be pleasant, um, that kind of guy. And, and something about Saturday mornings, I get to sleep in a little bit later than normal, and then get up, get a cup of coffee, go back to the room, sit down in the bed, and just, yesterday morning was a great time of worship. And in the middle of that, as I'm listening to these songs and I'm worshiping, the Lord and thinking about this message today and I'm thinking about you guys just overwhelmed with a sense of love for you guys and I want you to know that like this is so special and so unique what we have and that's what Craig was talking about this morning and it's because of who you guys are in the Lord that makes it so sweet and we're going to talk more about that today and so I don't want to go too deep down that road just yet but I just want to say that getting to share in our experiences of the Lord here on Sunday mornings and also at Life Groups brings such a depth to relationship that is not normally there. At least that's my experience anyway. I posted a song yesterday morning on Facebook that I'd ran across the night before and, and listened to it. It was good. It was John Foreman and um, who was it? Lauren Daigle. Lauren Daigle. Um, who I, I've listened to Lauren in the past and I've listened to John in the past but haven't run across them recently and that video just popped up in my YouTube uh, feed and, and I listened to it and then yesterday morning as I went back and was you know, I just went back through the things I was listening through the night before uh, and hit that playlist again. That song came back on, and then the Lord connected the dots with the word that he had for us today. And so that's why I posted it for you guys, and it's such a great lead-in. Today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 8, and we're going to go through verses 3 through 6. Um, and one of the things that I want to I want to remind you of two things, or remind you of one thing and tell you another, is last week we talked about um, verse 1 and verse 2, how it's just a, a lead-in. It's a transition into... Um, the, the change of theme in the book of Hebrews. So prior to this, in chapter 5 through uh, the end of chapter 7, the focus of the, of the letter is all about the priesthood of Jesus and why it's better than the Levitical priesthood. And then we're going to see in the next three chapters, or next two chapters, that the focus is on the fact that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And we're going to dip our toes in that water today. But I wanted to remind you that, that we're making a transition in the focus and we'll see the author do that a little bit more in these next three verses today. But the other thing I wanted to share with you is something that I learned this week in studying. And it's this idea that was prevalent in, in Jewish tradition of there's um, earth right now as we experience it. And then on a different plane is heaven. It kind of made me think of like the whole multiverse thing that's in the Marvel Cinematic. If you're a, a movie buff or comic book buff, you'll know kind of what I'm talking about. But it's not alternate worlds that are happening at the same time. Their thoughts were earth is happening here and heaven is happening at the same time right here. And that's significant because of what we're going to see, and, and we're going to look at Exodus chapter 25, verse 40 today, and some instruction that God gives Moses. And in their minds, in the Jewish people's minds, when they are thinking about heaven and they're thinking about earth, they're seeing this image of Moses when he's on the mountain interacting with God, that he is getting a glimpse into the heavenly realm. And so he sees it, 
And then we'll talk about what happens after that today. So while they're separate, they're moving forward together in time, okay? And so Moses is on the mountain, and, and you guys will remember when we went through the book of Exodus in chapter 20 is where God begins to give Moses the law, and then after that he gives him instructions on building the tabernacle. And he says in, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 40, he says, Be careful to make them according to the pattern that you have been shown on the mountain. So be careful to make sure you do this exactly the way that you've seen it. That was significant because Jewish people believed that as he is interacting with God, as God is showing him what the tabernacle is to look like, he's giving him a glimpse into the heavenly realm. And so as the people entered the tabernacle, particularly the priest as they entered the tabernacle, the idea was that they are entering into heaven on earth. This would be the center of all of their worship. And what God told Moses was to create a foreshadowing of what was going to come um, when heaven comes back to earth. It, the author of Hebrews, in making this argument about Jesus and his role in the restoration of the relationship between God and his people, he brings this, this passage from Exodus chapter 25 uh, to light. So look at me at, with, at Hebrews chapter 8, verses 3 through 5. He says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest, he's talking about Jesus, also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest since, those are, since there are those offering gifts prescribed by the law. These serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. As Moses has warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. So what the author is setting up is for us to understand that what is happening is simply a foreshadowing or an, a copy of what we're one day going to experience. So I was trying to think in my own heart, in my own life, in my own mind, what does that look like? So I'm studying Thursday night and the Lord kind of put this idea in my head. And so I want to share with you a little bit of my work life today because it's going to kind of inform how we approach the rest of this. It's going to help us to understand what that is. So when I was first hired at Petron this time around, I've worked there several times before, um, my job was to, to come underneath this man that was getting ready to retire. He'd worked at Petron for like 45 years. And his job was to, to design and really more to bid um, gas station, particularly the fuel system, all the underground piping and stuff. And so my role in coming in under him was to learn what he had learned from him and then also figure out how to price out all the equipment so that I could then give somebody an estimate or a quote on what it would cost to build that. And so um, I spent about a year with him, and the first couple of times we went out on a site, y'all know what a measuring wheel is? It's a ruler, basically, but instead of a measuring tape, it's got a wheel, and as you roll it, it counts. So we'd go out on the site, and he'd have this measuring wheel, and he would measure something off, and then he'd sketch it on a notepad and make some notes, and he'd spend a whole day doing that, and then he'd go back to the office and get out rulers and, and uh, stencils and things like that, and he'd redraw it to scale make all his notes on it, and then he would bring it to our guy who's our drafter, and that guy would draw it in AutoCAD and duplicate all the drawings and the notes and all those things, and then we would send that to an architect who had to stamp it, and basically his job is to make sure that everything is done correctly. So you see this, there's all of these steps, and in my mind, I was like, a lot of this is unneeded rep, you know, repetition, but this guy didn't, that's how he learned, that's what he knew, and so because I love technology, I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better way, a quicker way to do this, so I found a copy of AutoCAD on our server at the office and taught myself how to import satellite imagery, 
And now instead of having to spend a day on site with a measuring wheel, I can do it in a few minutes in AutoCAD with a scale drawing. And so that began to just kind of develop. And, and over time, I've taught myself how to do a lot of different things. I've gone to conferences to do a lot of different things. And, my, and I've got a, and, and I want to show you this, not to brag on myself, but I want to, I want to show you what I'm able to do. And then we're going to talk about the problems with it. So it's kind of hard to see, but that's the design that I did recently of a gas station that we're going to build in Ruston. You can go to the next one. This is a site layout for that store. Okay. And so I'm able to draw these things and make the appropriate notes and, and if laws didn't exist, I could hand this to somebody and they could build the gas station based on these drawings. But it's not quite good enough. So go to the next one. So this is a 3D rendering. Okay, this is something that I'm really proud of and it's really cool. I learned how to do this about a year ago. I use a drone and fly over a site and it creates this 3D point cloud. And then I can do that to do some cool processing stuff and I can get a topographical map. And then we can figure out if there's a hole somewhere, how much dirt is it going to take to move from the hill to put it in the hole and what's that going to cost and so we're figuring I'm using all of this technology to gather all of this data the problem is is I can put all of that together but nobody can use it nobody can use it because I'm not an architect and I'm not an engineer I know how to do all the things but I can't complete the work that's the same problem that the Levitical priest had they knew all the things. They learned all the steps. They understood the process. But they're not Jesus. They're not God. And while they are pushing forward, doing the best that they can do, it's just a copy. It's just a foreshadowing of what's to come. If I went to school for five years and got my architect's license, and I could stamp my own drawings, and that would save the company a lot of time and a lot of money. But I don't have five years to do that. I'm not going to hit pause on my life and do that. The point of all of this is for us to see that there's a problem with the Levitical priesthood. We've talked a lot about that. But as we're making this transition, the author wants to point out that something is happening in the life of the Jewish people. When Jesus came, things changed. What used to be something that happened over and over and over again until a priest died and then another one took his place. All of that was about to end or did end because of Jesus. And the priests, while they were doing the very best that they could, while they're moving to the best of their ability, they were not enough. They were fulfilling the roles as they were instructed, but they could never complete that whole work. And that wasn't their purpose. They were intended to be a copy of what was to come. They're like a movie preview, right? You see a movie preview and you're like, oh man, I want to see that. Like the new Venom thing came out. I don't know if y'all have seen that preview. Really excited about that movie because of the teaser, right? On the front end. And that's what the priests were supposed to be for us. Is there just kind of a foretaste of what is to be expected when one day that heavenly and earthly realm meet. And that's what that, that song that I posted yesterday talked about so well. It's called, I, I don't remember the exact name of it, but the, one of the lines in it is, I long for a, a, a place like heaven here on earth. And it's about that longing that's inside of all of us. And they talk a lot about, what's the word that they use? The, um, the borderline. That, that in that song, they talk about the borderline that exists currently right now between, between heaven and earth. That one day, heaven is going to be on earth. When Jesus comes and he renews the whole world, we will have that moment. But until then, there's that longing that's inside of us. That longing existed for the Hebrew people and it exists for us today. And one of the problems that the Hebrew people encountered was the level of emphasis that was put on the priest. 
right? And we see that when Jesus has these interactions with the, with the priest whenever he was alive. And rather than pursuing God, the people and the priest made themselves the focus of the system. All right. <laughs> we have visitors. They ought to want to come in here. Can't blame them. It's a fun spot. So the people had made the focus about themselves. The priest had made the focus about themselves. And we see that when Jesus responds with the priest. And what are they guarding? What are they protecting? They're protecting their power and their position because they like what they have. And if we're honest with ourselves, we see those similar patterns in our own life manifested in different ways. And that, it can look a lot of different ways for different people. But some things that I wrote down is living vicariously through other people's relationship with God. With, rather than pursuing the Lord for yourself, you join a life group and you kind of hang around some people who are experienced in the Lord. Or you come to worship on a Sunday morning, you get to be in the room with the people who are walking in obedience to the Lord. And you get that feeling, you know, you can tell the Holy Spirit's here and you feel like you're part of it. And that's good. But it's, it's just a taste of what you could have. Or we're constantly comparing ourselves to other people, either to build ourselves up because of their misgivings or to bring ourselves down because we feel like we don't stack up to their level. Often we rely on others to motivate us in our relationship with God rather than letting God be our motivator. You're waiting for the pastor to say something clever so you can tweet it and then feel good about it for the next couple of hours and then forget about it by the time money rolls around. Preaching to myself here for just a minute. The list can go on and on, but the point is that often our focus is on ourselves and not on God. And, and I want this to be a word of encouragement today because what Craig shared and what Kara shared, what, what Leah shared about her relationship with Mickey is we're, not, we're, we're all in this together, as Craig said, but we're not perfect. And we need to recognize that. It's, it's good to know that you're not perfect. It's good to let the Holy Spirit speak into the areas of your life like he did with Craig, where he's going, hey, Craig, I've been trying to tell you all day, don't drive your truck down that road. Win stupid games. How do I say that, kids? Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's what he was talking about. Okay. There's so many, huh? Tweet that. All right, go ahead, Carrie. That's not original to me. Somebody else said that. Somebody's more clever than me. <laughs> he ain't got a tweeter. All right. So yesterday I'm listening to uh, a new album that came out by Andy Minio, um, and there's a song on it called Not Gonna Do. And, and he references this tendency that, that I feel like the Holy Spirit is kind of calling out for all of us, not just us in this room, but believers uh, in general. Um, and he's talking about how people claim to follow God, but then their lives tell a different story. And a couple of lines from here, he says, and here's what we're not going to do. Write God first in my profile then live my whole life like Satan's child. And if anybody say something, now they hating. Wow. You, do you see the dichotomy there that he's calling out? Is that we will say that we're a believer. But then we're going to go and live for ourselves. And then when people call you out on it, you're like, oh, you're just being a hater. No, I'm just saying you said this and then you did this. And all of us have that in our lives because we're not perfect. He did it in a really clever way. But this has become so prevalent now that it feels normal for people to call themselves believers, but then not actually be followers of Jesus. They tout that they're a believer on their social media posts. They follow that up then with things that communicate the opposite of that. And unfortunately, we're repeating the mistakes of the past. But unlike Israel, the Israelites, we have the Holy Spirit. 
And so that should, should be allowed, he should be allowed to guide our lives. Because if we're putting the focus on ourselves, if we're thinking about ourselves often, if that's where our focus is, then we're going to follow the leading of our own wisdom, of our own desires. But when our focus is on the Lord, we'll be following Him. Tozer uh, addressed this idea yesterday in, in a devotional that I read on um, cmalliance.org. There's two different ones I read. It's from that particular website. But he says, Yet we have somehow gotten ourselves into a state where almost all church religion is passive. A limited number of professionals act, and the mass of religious people are content to receive the action. The minister, like the undertaker, you'll have to go read it to get that part, performs his professional service while the members of the congregation relax and passively enjoy the service. One reason for this condition is the failure of clergy to grasp the true purpose of preaching. There is a feeling that the work of the preacher is to instruct merely, whereas the real work of the preacher is to instruct with an end to securing moral action for the hearers. As long as there has been no moral response to the instruction, the hearers are passive merely and might as well be dead. Indeed, in, in, indeed, in one sense, they are already dead. And he references the passage in James where he says, show me your, your uh, works and I'll show you my faith. I don't remember how the rest of that goes. Anyway, we'll look that up later. Here's what I want us to hear out of that today, though. Is that God's purpose in creating us was not for passivity. I know that if you sit here regularly on Sunday mornings, what you're probably feeling is me saying, we need to push harder, we need to go further, we need to follow the Lord. What you're doing is not enough. And what I want you to understand is that I'm preaching that same message to myself because until I become like Jesus, until you become like Jesus, it's not enough. And there's this idea that has been birthed into our minds that we can sit passively throughout our lives and call ourselves believers, and we've checked the box, we're going to get to heaven and everything's cool. But what we see in the life of Jesus, what we see in the life of the apostles, of the disciples, is people who gave everything for the sake of something that was worth everything. And that's what Tozer's talking about. Tozer's talking about the fact that our end goal here on Sunday mornings, our end goal in life groups on Wednesday nights, is not just to gain knowledge. Our goal is to pursue the Lord in walking in obedience to the things that He's called us to do. You know, I, I, yesterday morning, I had my time with the Lord. It was perfect. Like, I'd just gotten done. was going to get some lunch going because uh, I wanted to do a roast. Now y'all are hungry. Sorry about that. But it takes a couple of hours. And my sister calls me, and she was at my parents' house who live across the yard from us. She's like, hey, I just walked by, by mom and dad's house, and I hear water running. My mom and dad are out of town, as an aside. And she's like, and I don't know where it is. And that's, that's a historical, like they always have water leaks when they go out of town. I don't know what kind of juju they got going on in their house, but something about it, there's always a water leak. And so immediately, and I don't know if y'all experience this or not, I'm a fixer. And so immediately, like there's an adrenaline rush that hits me and I'm like moving to action mode. So I throw some tennis shoes on, run across the yard, turn the water off, get their houses elevated and it's muddy because the water's been running and I'm down in the mud and, and, but, and then we fixed it. And so everything's cool. Got the water back on. That felt good. It felt good to fix something. And I don't know if you've experienced that, if that's just something for me. I see a few head nods in here. But, but here's the reality is that when the Lord calls us to do something that's outside of our plans for the day, because that was not in my plans for the day, when God gives us an opportunity to help somebody, whether that's fixing a water leak 
or sitting with them as they are dealing with whatever they're dealing with. You're just being present in the moment. As we walk in obedience to that, something happens in us too. And it's enjoyable. Now, I don't like getting in the mud and getting spider webs on. If you know me at all, I ain't about spiders, okay? That didn't even matter at the moment because something was broke and I knew how to fix it and I had a task in front of me. What I want us to understand is that when God calls us to do something, often we look at that as an inconvenience. When there's someone in your life who needs your time, when there's someone in your life who needs you to help fix a water leak, whatever's going on. We have two ways we can look at that. We can look at it as an inconvenience or we can look at it as an opportunity to show love to somebody. And, and what I want you to understand is if you haven't experienced that before, there's something that happens inside of you that I can't get that fix anywhere else. I've tried all the things, most all the things, to get the same feeling that I get out of walking in obedience to helping somebody with the gifts and the opportunities that the Lord puts in front of me. And it's unique. Our focus since we found at TGP is to help people to understand how amazing it is when we actively live in a relationship with God. It's incredible. And the testimonies that we hear on Sunday mornings here specifically are the results of you guys actively pursuing the Holy Spirit. This place feels the way it does. We have the relationships that we have because of you walking in obedience. And I want to echo Craig this morning by saying thank you for being that. But I also want to encourage us to continue to go further to let the Holy Spirit open up those areas of our lives where we feel like we're doing pretty good. And for him to say, nah, not quite. Let's tweak this a little bit. Let me work in this area for just a minute. And let me do some more stuff. This was in Blackaby this morning. He says, Christians do not, do not live in isolation. When we sin, there are repercussions throughout the Christian community. When our brother or sister suffers, we are affected. Our calling is not to be solitary Christians, but to be members of of a priesthood, 1 Peter 2, chapter 9. Why does that ring a bell? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of the darkness and into the marvelous light. Now, God put that in my devotions for this morning. Yesterday afternoon, I was having a conversation with Wes, and he's like, man, the Lord really spoke to me today through Isaiah 29. You should go check it out. I was like, I'm going to do it. And so he starts telling me the things that the Lord spoke. And I'm like, dude, this is right in line with what the Holy Spirit's been speaking for today. Let's look at that for just a minute, okay? I'm kind of skipping here ahead here, Anna. Sorry about that. But I want us to see the contrast between the life of disobedience and a life under the grace of God. We're going to start in verse 13. We're going to read through 19. I want you to see the contrast here. The Lord said, These people approach me with their speeches. To honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me, and human rules direct their worship from me. They honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. Verse 14, therefore I will confound these people with wonder after wonder. The wisdom of their wise will vanish, and the perception of their perspective will be hidden. Woe to those who go to great lengths to hide their plans from the Lord. They do their works in the dark and say, who sees us? Who knows? You have turned things around as if the potter were the same as the clay. How can what is made say to its maker, he didn't make me? 
How can what is formed say about the one who formed it, he doesn't understand what he's doing? And then listen to this. So that's the darkness. He said, isn't it true that in just a little while, Lebanon will become an orchard and the orchard will seem like a forest? On that day, the deaf will hear the the words of a document and the deep darkness of the eyes of the blind will see and the humble will have joy after joy in the Lord and the people will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah is trying to help the people understand that if you will just walk in obedience to the things that I've called you to do, you will no longer be in this darkness. You will see the marvelous light. But darkness was a result of their continual disobedience. Rather than doing what God had commanded, they lived their lives as they wanted to. And you can go back in the Old Testament and see that whole period of darkness where, and even after this and after the minor prophets, the Lord just stops speaking because people aren't listening. But church, we don't have to live in that darkness anymore. And what the Lord has been speaking over and over and over again to us is that there are people in our lives who are still living in that darkness. They don't understand what it means to see marvelous light. They don't understand the feeling that can come from walking in obedience to God, that doing the things that He's called you to do. They don't understand that a group of people that are so messed up as we are, who deal with struggle after struggle after struggle in daily life, can come before another group of people and say, man, this week was horrible, but God was so good to me. He worked in this. I got <laughs> Craig, give me a little hand pump. He's raising the roof back there. That's what the church needs to hear. That's what the people in our lives need to hear. As, as the author of Hebrews is making this transition, he's trying to help us to see that what he's talking about is not something that's insignificant. It's something that is life-altering for all people. These people that were struggling, who were getting ready to, to flip on their belief and go back to their traditions, to their dead religion. He's trying to help them to see that if we will just continue to pursue the Lord, He will speak. He will do the things that He says that He will do. So as we're going through this week, take opportunities every morning. When you wake up, first thing out of your mouth, Lord, today is yours. Show me where I can be more like you. Show me the people in my life that need to hear from you today and give me an opportunity to be that voice. If we begin our days like that, I'm not talking about having a big old long devotional time. If you have that, wonderful. Add this to it. When you get up in the morning, start your day by making it about the Lord and not about yourself. Because I don't know about you, I'll roll over my alarm clock's going off and the first thing I open typically is my email. Why? I don't know. (laughs) But then my day is immediately all about the stuff I got to get done instead of starting with focusing not on myself and what's important to me, but what's important to the Lord. There's opportunities for us all around us every day. But we got to take our blinders off and let the Holy Spirit speak into our hearts to see where those things are. So this week, that's our focus, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful for your, your steadfastness that as we struggle through our days, that you continually, even when we screw up, God, you continue to show up, to show us who you are, to show us how much you love us. Father, as we begin this week today, right now, let it be about you. Show us the areas of our lives where we tend to be focused only on ourselves. God, reveal the areas of our lives where we need to be more like you. 
God, show us as we move through our days, whether it's the cashier at the grocery store or the person handing us food out the window at a fast food restaurant or the people that we work with. God, show us the places where people need to hear about how incredible you are. Prime those conversations. Prepare their hearts and get us ready for that moment. Father, we ask these things in your name. Amen.